The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. I'm Axel Threlfall, and this is The World at WEF, a Reuters podcast breaking down all things Davos. Today I spoke to Global Optimism's Christiana Figueres and UNDP's Achim Steiner about trust, diplomacy and all things climate. I was then joined by the world's youngest Prime Minister, Finland's Sanna Marin. Here are the highlights. Right, are there any signs that Donald Trump is starting to engage a little more seriously on climate change and listen uh, a little more intently despite calling activists the prophets of doom? Here's what some senior politicians told us on that. Mark Rutte, Dutch Prime Minister. I think a sensible politician looking for re-election would, of course, uh, interesting, uh, with, with a lot of interest, look at these type uh, of policies. And uh, in my experience with Donald Trump, he is a very practical politician. He wants to do the good stuff for his country. Sanna Marin, Prime Minister of Finland. So I think there is hope there, also in the United States, even though uh, at the, uh, the United States level, the, the country level, um, there's been uh, also voices uh, otherwise. Franz Timmermans, Executive VP, European Green Deal. He's probably doing the math and thinking, if I want to be re-elected, I also have to take this seriously because the vast majority of the American people is taking this seriously. Uh, right. Um, I'm going to throw this at you, Christiana. You know I am, yeah? Uh, Christiana Figueres uh, joins me, as, as does Achim Steiner from uh, UNDP. Um, are they just being politicians, diplomatic politicians, um, or, or do you think there's something in what they're saying? Well, I certainly will not speak for the politicians that you have just uh, no, no, had no, on camera. Um, but uh, from my perspective, there has to be much more integrity to anything before I am willing to consider that it's actually serious. Okay, and you're not seeing that integrity at all? No, no, no single grain of sand of it. Yeah. How, 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 how impatient? You've been impatient for a while now. It's oh, no, I'm still impatient. Yeah, you're still impatient? Yeah, Are you yeah, getting yeah. more impatient? Miss impatience well, yeah, to get us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Miss impatience to get us. Um, you, you know, 2020 was always going to be a very, very big year for you. You and I have spoken over the years about 2020 as it approaches. Um, how psychologically, symbolically, how big is, is how, what are you feeling now in 2020? Well, the pressure is really on, right? Because we've been saying for quite a while that 2020 is important, but we have the super year now in 2020 because we have big decisions coming on, on oceans, on biodiversity and on climate change all in the same year. And then 2020 is the beginning of the critical decade, not just for climate change, for the world, because mm. this is the decade in which we are, whether we choose to or not, going to define the rest of our lives that are here, but certainly for many generations to come. Yeah. By 2030, we will have determined whether we are actually on track or not on climate change. And you're saying by 2030, uh, emissions need to come down by half, 50% half. from now. I'm not saying okay, it. No, Scientists yeah, you're are not saying. saying. Okay. Um, Achim, just your, your response quickly to what we heard from the politicians there on maybe a shifting mood uh, in the US. Is that, is that wishful thinking? No, not at all. I think what we are seeing, not only in the United States, but also in the United States, is that the public is, first of all, increasingly aware of what it is that science has been saying for years and what is now playing out before our very eyes. Importantly also, you know, politicians are elected, politicians serve for a few years. 
It is the public ultimately that elects, it is the public that will consume, it shapes the markets. And I think what we've seen here in Davos this year is a remarkable recognition that much of what has been written on the wall is beginning to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's why we also see, I think, not so much in the political sphere of the United States, but in the economy, in the financial sector, in the technology sector, um, very significant shifts. So politics often follows. Uh, it doesn't necessarily lead. And um, I think what we will see over the next couple of years is um, very significant changes. When we, I mean, we had you in last year and we talked to you about climate and the risk in terms of development. Um, it's at the top of the agenda this year. Just give us a sense of, of if that has that if you've moved on at all in this idea of uh, the climate's place and, and, and the risk to development. Well, in one sense, sadly enough, we haven't moved on because unfortunately much of what was written in the playbook of what would happen is actually happening, including if you look, for example, in regions such as Africa, extreme weather events, the impact in existential terms on literally hundreds of millions of people. The combination also of environmental change with um, you know, security, with people's um, desperation leading them to, in parts of um, you know, the Sahel region now, having given up on the state, having given up on the idea of development and, and essentially yeah. going to extremism. Yeah. So you can take it from that <clears throat> end, but you can also look at it, and I think this is what's so important here in Davos this year. The economy of the future is a low-carbon economy, and leaders in the economy and the economic sectors are beginning to acknowledge that in ways that I have not seen before. Okay. Can I can yeah. I jump in on the risk? Because I totally agree, of course, with Ahem that the risk is now much more deeply perceived, both because because science has become much more granular, but also because we have so many more disasters around the world. Mm -hmm. Just in the past twelve months we've had fires in the Amazon in California, now recently in Australia, and in Siberia. Right. So when you have fires, uh, the size uh, that what we have had, that really has underscored the risk. The good news about that is that, from my perspective, the first industry that has really understood that and begun to move quite aggressively, in particular over the past 12 months, is the financial sector. Yeah. So, you know, there is there's some and because they know that their assets are at risk. So you have, for example, the voluntary risk disclosure of climate, which was created by Mark Carney, governor of England, that is now moving from voluntary to mandatory mm -hmm. over this year. You have divestment that has gone to $12 trillion, moving money from, from technology that is high carbon to clean. And very excitingly, you have a new alliance of asset owners that started at $4 trillion. Here in Davos went to $5 trillion. They expect to go to $10 trillion this year. And they're at the top of the food chain with respect to finance, right? Yeah, yeah. So they will <clears throat> mandate their companies and asset managers. Tell, tell me, I mean, Greta, of course, is here and, 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 and her voice is being heard. Uh, very strong messages that, that we need this uh, full divestment from fossil fuel companies now. You know, of course, there are people saying this is wholly unrealistic and, 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 and you know, behind the scenes, a lot of the corporates must be, some of them must be rolling their eyes. Uh, is, it, is it helping that sort of message? Well, I think one has to be both reacting to the urgency but also to the prudence. And it's that balance between the two. 
Obviously, we can't divest out of the fossil fuel industry by tomorrow morning because our entire economy is completely locked into that industry. So that would be not very, it's, not, it's neither realistic nor prudent. What we have to do is to figure out that path in between. How do we respond to the emergency and ensure that we're at one half emissions, but do it prudently? Yeah. So a fast but smooth transition. Um, Athim, we, we, we spoke last year as well about um, leading in, a, in, a, in this digital economy, in this digital age. Um, and we talked about the NGO's role there, <laughs> and the skills gap, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we, we talked about how difficult it is, really, for, for many of the NGOs. Uh, is, that, is that dial moving at all, do you think? Well, it depends on whether you're already part of that emerging digital economy and more and more people are. So I think, uh, you know, whether it's a Fridays for Future movement, whether it's the awareness about what is happening also, not just with climate change, but for example, with the things that we see on the news every night. Last year, we saw in so many parts of the world people going out on the street. What is happening there? What is driving this? Sometimes it's climate change, sometimes it's inequality, sometimes it's poverty. Mm -hmm. And I think um, civil society in general is benefiting from a digital connectivity today that is phenomenal. You can see it in the way protests are organized, but also in the way that information travels. And I think citizens feel much more empowered. How else do you explain that a group of 14 to 17 year old largely young women have, uh, in a sense, taken the world by, by storm? And they are well informed, they're articulate, they're connected. And I think this is sort of the, let's say in a public discourse sense, the positive side of, of that digital economy that's emerging. But you also heard the Secretary General yesterday was here in Davos and spoke about uh, the great risks. And there is a, there's a dark side to that uh, digital economy also that has to do with the dark web, that has to do with artificial intelligence and autonomous weapons. And I think right. we, we are in the midst of defining, I think, a normative set of values that will help that whole world of technology <laughs> Um, deliver the success, but also prevent some of the darker sides. Yeah. I, I've, got to, I've got to get a, just a final comment from both of you. You know, yeah, 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 you know, back to the corporates and the measures that are being set, for, uh, the, the metrics that are being set for them, and we're seeing movement in financial services, and, and yes, climate's at the top, even though perhaps the, the, the world's biggest climate denier got top billing here in Davos. Um, uh, things, <laughs> things seem to be happening, um, but the context, the context of, of, of um, introspection and isolationism and uni uh, uh, unilateralism that must be an increasingly hard context to operate in and, and we need to we need to sort that out as well am I right in saying that Christiana yes absolutely that that is probably the more difficult challenge is to deal with that sense of isolationism of anti-multilateralism uh, that has begun to set in in some countries, right? I don't think that we can be um, as simplistic of saying that's actually taking everyone by storm. Right. There are some countries, and obviously they are pretty dominant, but there is also a very interesting movement against that coming from the bottom up. I think that is a top down and the the movement you know on the streets of young people yeah. is actually absolutely the contrary to that. It's also uh, operating very very differently to something that the new asset owners, the young people who are um, inheriting a lot of wealth and a lot of decision, everyone between, I don't know, 25 and 40, they're not operating like that. 
So there's a very interesting contrast, I think, to what we're seeing from top down Absolutely. to bottom up. Uh, OK, and it's going like that. Achim, final comment now. It's going like that. Um, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a real melting pot, I would, I would say. How, what's going to happen? What's going to be the outcome of this? And when's that going to happen? What's the time frame on that, do you think? Now, I think that is why we should take note of the fact that, you know, last year it wasn't a protest in a particular part of the world. It wasn't just in the poor world, from Paris to Santiago de Chile to Hong Kong to Beirut. Basically, people are impatient, and when people step out into the streets, it becomes dangerous, it becomes disruptive. And I think this is the, the moment we're in. And, you know, when UNDP published last December the Human Development Report, we put inequality right at the heart of this, beyond income, beyond averages, beyond today, because yes. that's what people are challenging. And I think politics, in a sense, is now forced to react much more dramatically. And for every sort of isolationist, nationalist, um, you know, election that may put another party in power, there is another one coming to power. I just listened to Spain's prime minister here, <coughs> the new agenda, you have Finland. And look, uh, countries are actually succeeding, for example, in the transition towards a greener economy. When countries like Denmark now produce more than 50% of their electricity with renewables, a large economy like Germany coming close, people want to see that they're being listened to. And yeah. I think, to me, um, to come back to this idea also of isolationism, we live in an age where virtually everything that we're trying to deal with requires us to work together. So I also say this because the UN is 75 this year. Collaboration and cooperation is in part being um, critiqued, rightly so, because we have failed sometimes. But the idea hasn't become redundant, on the contrary. All right. Achim Steiner and Christiana Figueres, great to see you. Great to Thank have you, you both back much. on. Um, good luck to both of you. And we'll Thank see you, you next year. Yes. Right, we often hear uh, from business that things will only move on, and we've been talking about this, if a new generation of leaders comes through with different priorities. Is the same true of government? Is it time to shake things up? Who better to ask than Sanna Marin, who at 34 became Finland's youngest ever prime minister, when she was elected uh, at the end of last year? I think we need uh, leaders from all generations, young generations, also older generations, and also genders. We need mm. diversity uh, in the decision-making table because then you are representing uh, mm -hmm. the whole uh, nation and, and the whole world. So I think it's very important that we have people from different backgrounds and people from different generations. And of course in Finland we now have a coalition government with five parties and all, all the leaders in the parties are oh, female. Well, and four of them are under 35 years old, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it must become tiresome really to you to have to answer questions on um, uh, the, the uh, um, gender and, and, and age all the time as a, as a, as a leader. But I, I guess the, the reason I raise it um, is because we, we seem to live in an era of, 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 of populist strongmen. Um, and many people are saying we need more young female leaders um, to, uh, to, to balance this out. Do you agree with that? Well, of course, I'm in politics because of the issues. Yeah. I, I didn't come go into politics because I think that the world needs me uh, as an individual, but because of I, that I thought that uh, the older generation isn't doing enough for the climate change, mm -hmm. for human rights, for gender equality, for example. So I think that we need to uh, focus on the issues that we have to work on. We have many big issues of the future that we have to solve. We don't have any choice if we look at the future of our children. So I think that we have to focus all the major uh, elements that we need to fix and we 
I'm, I'm very um, uh, optimistic person mm. and I, I also want to solve problems. That's our show. Thanks to our guests and our producers, Ben Kellerman and Jenna Tucker. And thank you to the Davos Today video team who made these interviews happen. You can watch the full discussions on Reuters.com.